0: Welcome to the Titans Amy and Coach Mac podcast presented by Farm Bureau Health Plans. Look to the folks at Farm Bureau Health Plans when you need someone who understands the Xs and Os of healthcare coverage. They've been protecting Tennesseans since 1947. I'm Amy Wells. I'm joined of course by Coach Mac. Mac, how's it going? Going great.
1: Going great. It's good to be up here with you.
0: This is a a, a Titans radio edition of the Titans Amy and Coach Mac podcast because We have here with us, live and in living color, Mike Keith, voice of the Titans.
2: This is weird.
0: Why is it weird?
2: (laughs) Because usually I talk first.
0: Yeah, well... Welcome to my show. I'm well. the captain now.
2: <laughs> well played by you. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. You'll, well figure out. You'll
1: figure out real quick, Mike, in this little interchange. She is in charge. Oh, I know. <laughs> Trust me.
0: Well, I don't know if I'm in charge, but I am really excited to have you on the show. I mean, there's so many different things that you can talk about when you have Mike Keith on a show. I mean, Mike Keith is knowledgeable when it comes to, obviously, the Tennessee Titans. He's also knowledgeable when it comes to all things... University of Tennessee sports. He's knowledgeable when it comes to all things Tennessee as a state, including all of the counties and where the Dairy Queens are located in all of them. I mean, Mike knows a lot of stuff, but I thought that maybe this would be a good opportunity for us to kind of wander down memory lane a little bit and talk about titans radio okay because that seems to be where all good things really come from oh look at you isn't that nice yes but it's also real i mean mac would not be here with us if not for titans radio True, bringing him back to tennessee his rightful home i say
1: well i mean titans radio people don't really understand i didn't understand when i was coaching here Really, the 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 breadth and the length and the depth that this radio station covered, yeah, it, and not only in this state but in this region, because you know when you're coaching, you really don't you don't have time for it. You really don't. I mean, I knew Mike Keith, and and you know, when I was here with Jeff Fisher, we always appreciated his calls and the way that he you know accentuated a game, and it was important. It's important to the players, but as far as just really knowing how it operated, and then once you know. I was asked to come back and and got immersed into it. I mean, it's a it's a far-reaching thing. There is no Titans Radio without Mike Keith, without Larry Stone. Larry
2: Stone, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. There there is no there's no there is no Titans Radio as it, as it is today and uh, it's a it's a fairly fairly important tent pole for the Tennessee Titans. Well, a lot of what
2: Larry did, which was so important is he wanted us to sound a certain way. He created a network and he treated the affiliate stations like they were the flagship. He did things for them. He went over and above. The level of service was immaculate. And I talk about service, not just, hey, we need an autographed football for an auction at our high school, but also making sure the commercial breaks were lined up in a way that was easy to operate. Making sure that all of the cues were done in a way that the board operator never had a problem making sure anything technical was always taken care of all you had to do was essentially show up run the game it was easy to sell commercials we helped people sell commercials in local markets i mean we did that in jackson i'll never forget we went on a big station in jackson tennessee and they took us on sales calls we said well absolutely do it and this was in the spring of 99 right after we had changed the name and we go into something automotive and we sit down with this guy and he's a, he's a big deal and Larry and I both start our two man routine. Well, the Titans are going to do this and the Titans are going to do this and the Titans are going to do this. And in the middle of the pitch, this guy just keeps getting up and leaving. (laughs) He would walk out and then he would come back and we would start back in. We were unsettled to say the least. And, Eventually, he looked at us. We're like, now let me tell you about the Titans and what the Titans are going to be about and the NFL and all this. He goes, who in the hell are the Tennessee Titans? And there you go. So it was a great lesson because, I mean, we had just changed the name, but this guy was not a football fan. Uh And so we backed up and we said, okay, this is the NFL. This is why the NFL is a big deal. This is why people are going to be interested. This is what we're going to be about. This is how you'll benefit. And, you know, the guy bought the biggest sales package that the Jackson Station had to offer for that year. And so it reminded us, you know, how do we help our affiliates message this so they can make money off of it? Right. And so people throughout the region, especially because we started off winning 61 games in our first five years, radio stations added us, They made money off of us. They loved Larry. They loved what Larry did. And then we did this crazy caravan where we would bring big-name players to their market, let them sell the stop. And you'd have Kevin Carter sitting at Bob's Quick Mart signing autographs. Well, everybody in town would be at Bob's Quick Mart and the, the radio station would make $500 because they would broadcast live there and to a small market radio station $500 a lot of money sure mm-hmm. so these were all the things that we did in these days and larry created this and so titans radio became a thing you could walk in and say titans radio to somebody and i mean you're getting a meal you're getting a good cup of coffee you come in here and see us when we started we drove around looking for radio towers really yep. Sure did. We drove everywhere and we would see a radio tower and we'd walk in. We'd say, hey, we want you to carry our games. Most people said, get out.
0: (laughs) I'm serious. This is private property. (laughs) But
2: after four or five years of this, we could walk in anywhere. At one point, we had over 80 radio stations on Titans Radio and, and the radio business has changed. I don't know that there are 80 radio stations anymore, but we were the biggest radio network in the NFL In terms of numbers. Wow. And it helped to get the brand out there in that way. And so, you know, when we had a chance to add Coach Mack, a lot of it was we felt like here's what we are, here's what we do. This is why we want to go after him. Because we think he will fit what we do and will give us something special. And he obviously has.
1: Titans Radio Now. And, you know, when I first came on, as I said, I really didn't understand the total resonance of it. I really didn't. But now, and and especially when I do this, and just like when you get back from the combine, Titans radio is a big deal in the National Football League. Well, he created that reputation. It's a big deal.
2: And he created that, and we fight to live up to it every single year. And it's not easy. It's why we stayed on the air for seven hours in Miami in 2018, It's why we went out and did games in person in twenty twenty because you fight for that place with that reputation that he created. And we're still living off him to a certain extent. He built this thing in a way and trained all these people. And you've got Brad Willis and you've got Rhett Bryant and you've got Philip Noel. And then, you know, the Jonathan Huttons came along and then the Amy Wells have come along. And Larry didn't create you, Amy. But the, the path that he created and what he set up led to it. Mm-hmm. You're part of that family, even though you never worked directly with Larry. Right. Because that's
1: what he, that's what he set. You know, you bring up that seven-hour game, and we're talking about Titans Radio. I knew that what Titans Radio was, uh, the impact of it. You know, when I came in here, you and, I, you and I sat down, and one of the first things you did was you gave me a, a notebook. I'm used to notebooks because I've coached all my life, and we have big notebooks, you know, (laughs) with game plans. But you had a notebook that said, it was Titans Radio, procedures. And you said, this is how we do things, get familiar with it. And I went, okay. That game in Miami that, I mean, will go down in history because it is the longest in the history of the National Football League, and they've been playing for a while. <laughs> everything, everything that we did was in that procedure. And when that started happening, you went right to your backpack, pulled that out. The other guys went right, to the, right sure. over there to the storage and pulled that out and said, okay, boom, here we go. And that's why when we were on the air for that whole time, You know, and uh, Miami came across there with Bob Greasy and Jimmy Cephalo after 20 minutes and knocked on her door and went, what the hell are you guys talking about? Right. We've already thrown it back to studio.
2: If you're one of the stations that carries our games, usually those broadcasts are now run on automation and the commercials are tripped by certain tones and computers, whatever. Or if you have a board operator, it's a young guy or young girl. Mm Mm-hmm. It's an inexperienced person normally who's getting their start in radio.
0: Yeah, it's an intern job. Well, I did that. Mm
2: -hmm. I mean, I, I ran the board for NASCAR races back at WNOX 100 years ago. If we say we're out, what does that board operator do? Right. The board operator doesn't have the ability to say, we'll go to CBS radio or ABC radio or Fox or ESPN, whatever they care. They're not allowed to make that decision. Right. Well, they may not be able to get a hold of, it's Sunday afternoon. So what you're doing is by, by staying on the air, which is what Larry Stone would have done, is you're saying we're not going to let the radio stations down because they believe in us because they continue to help us spread the word about the Titans. When we started, we said, you know, this is air cover. That's what this is, man. We're going to be everywhere. We went after every 100,000-watt radio station we could find because we didn't want you to be able to go anywhere that you couldn't hear us. So if you drive one place and you run out of range, you hit scan, you hit another button. I mean, that's old-fashioned junk, right?
0: Not really, though. But
2: but it is. It's old-fashioned in terms of what the theory is. But you've got to take care of the customer.
0: Yeah, and that's not old-fashioned.
1: As I keep saying, because you know I'm trained as a coach. Now, after having done this for five seasons, going on six now, and hopefully a lot, a lot more, I come to you sometimes when we're listening to other things. I go, "This not very good, is right. it?" Right. Because I mean, it's and not to be critical, but just I I know what I'm used to with what we do and the way it sounds and the way it's put off. And, you know, there are times when I'm going, this isn't very good. That's why you're successful
2: at this because you're a broadcaster now. You're still a coach, and the minute you wanted to coach again, you'd step back into that and be Coach Mac right away. But you've invested yourself to the point that you understand, okay, we're taking a break here. Okay, this doesn't sound right. Okay, Mike's got these things he has to do. Red has these things he has to do. Amy's got this. The whole thing is when you make that investment in learning the craft of how everything fits together as you have, then that's what separates because you can get across to people things in a different way. It's like sometimes you'll be talking about something and I'm really interested in it, but it will hit me that maybe I don't quite understand the terminology And so I'll ask you, I'll say, now, Coach, what does that mean? Because I know Chris in Memphis, who's listening, we want to make sure that Chris in Memphis is in in on it. Right. We want everybody to feel like they're part of something and they're 100% in on it. Not that they have to know as much as you, but that they know enough of the cadence
1: and the language that they're in. You know what else amazes me, too? And, of course, we'll let Amy talk pretty soon because she's part of this. Amy who? Yeah. yeah,
0: that's what that's, I was afraid was going to happen yeah, yeah. on this but, show. But anyway,
1: is that the people that are listening, and a lot of them do, they really feel like they know us. Right. Mm-hmm. And I love that about that because, again, as a coach in the National Football League, you get to interact with fans a little. Now I can. Are you ever
2: shocked at how they
1: respond to you, though? It's wild, isn't
0: it? Oh, it's crazy.
1: I am and I, I am not because I wouldn't really want to do this in many other markets. I, I wouldn't because I fit here. I mean, this is a southern market. I was happy to get back where they say y'all again. People understand football here, and plus, I've always been part of something that's really good in the National Football League. And when I came to do this, I wanted to be part of something that was really good. It's phenomenal to see. It's like
2: being out with a boy band.
0: It is. It's like going to dinner with a rock star. I'm with
2: jo- Justin Bieber here. <laughs> I'm with Justin Bieber. <laughs> and i, and I got to say something. It, it makes me so happy. To see people go crazy when they meet you. It is the biggest compliment to all of us. Yeah. Because it tells me they know exactly what you're doing and where you are. And that's just a, it's a great thing. And and also because you're really, really good at what you do. I mean, there is a separation between what you do and what other people do. We knew it at the end of your first preseason. We got together and we said, you know, we've got to reformulate this thing to give him more, to give him as much as possible. Because, I mean, here's the thing. You've got to give people what they want to hear.
0: And what they want is Mac. (laughs) Right.
2: You don't play the non-hits on the radio. You play the hits. I'll tell you, it has been the most special thing to see this. I mean, so much
1: fun. I mean, so much fun. You're very kind to say all that. But all of us really respect what each other does. Right. Mm -hmm. Because everybody's got a real role in this. I mean, I sit back in amazement sometimes watching Philip and watching Rhett and watching Brad Willis put this thing together. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we went to London and watched them set up in the stadium at Wembley, not in a booth, in the stadium, in the seats, and all the things technically that had to be lined up and taped and, and, and hooked in, and I went, whoa, these guys are really, really good. They're amazing. They're amazing. Part of being something that people really care about, when you're working with people that care about it, then that makes it all worthwhile. It's just like being on a really good team. Mm-hmm. When everybody really cares, nobody cares who gets the credit, but you know you got a good thing going
2: on. Well, that's the part that I see. It's like when Amy advanced to be not just the sideline reporter, but last year to become the pregame co-host with Red. It's outstanding. I, I mean, it, it's fantastic because she worked for it. Oh sure, she did. I, I mean, she worked for it
1: for nine years. She nearly lost her life during that. Well, Miami she nearly game. died. Yeah, she nearly died. Let's go back to the seven-hour Miami game, and I'm sitting up there. Her first um, game. No, no. Her first, her first game, game sideline. Sideline, and then we got lightning striking. <laughs> I mean, it looks it, it it looks like a Marvel movie. You got thunder <laughs> and lightning. It and was big, crazy. Big bolts and stuff going on, and and all of a sudden she's down there with her rabbit ears on, with her microphone, trying to pick up a signal so she could tell us what was going on. I go. Now, they've cleared a stadium of 70,000 people. Everybody <laughs> finds shelter. But, Amy, you walk out in the middle of the field with electronics on and hold up this thing to try to – is there's something wrong with this?
2: But she's working.
1: No, she's yep. working. It she works. was working She's, fi- she's finding out it.
2: stuff. She's giving us information. Oh, my God.
1: She, she, it, she, was, she was our eyes and ears. Mm-hmm. I mean, she would go into the tunnel and say, okay, they're making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. They've already they've brought – But separate. if I'm a listener – No, you love that. I want to know that. You
2: love that. I, I want to I know – I liked it. I want to know every bit of what's going on because it's a story. Oh, I mean I want to hear every bit of the story. Yes, it was great. I the mean, only part of that story was bad was we lost the game.
0: We did lose the game, and that was not great. It's the hungriest I've ever been on a football field because, man, seven and a half hours is a long time if you haven't eaten. I was so hungry. She was giving
1: us – that was the greatest insight ever. She was saying, you know, Brent Akers and Chris (laughs) Matusak just brought in 7,000 loaves of bread. They
0: went to the grocery store, (laughs) bought all these loaves of bread, and they were buying out whole concession stands of, like, pizza and whatever they could find because the guys in the locker room were hungry, and they were freezing because in Miami – they don't give you local control of the heating and yeah. air in the locker room.
2: Welcome to the visitor's yeah. locker room So they over.
0: turned the air in the visitor's locker room down to like four degrees. Guys were coming out wrapped in towels, freezing. They're all in the hot tubs with their shoulder pads on trying to warm up. It was the craziest experience. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you just say what you're saying.
2: But it's a dedication to making it good. The first person who came to me... It said we should promote Amy to that role was the guy she replaced, Jonathan Hutton. Yeah. Every member of the crew came and said that Amy should be promoted to that role. Well, that's and, very nice. Well, it was, uh, it's cool, but, I mean, it, it's a lot of being with a group of people that you enjoy working with. And, listen, I mean, we're not perfect, and I'm not saying we invented broadcasting. Pretty close. I think the, the attention to detail, I marvel. Oh, at that group's attention to detail, and it it really keeps you humble and really makes you work hard because you want to live up to the standard of everybody
1: else. I've had opportunities to go do other things since I've been doing this and get back like into things. Back what are you in, talking about? What could you Lay possibly want to do? Name back, names. It's your podcast. Come <laughs> back, on, <laughs> back into the league and coach and do and do this nationally, and you know yeah, all, I, it, mm-hmm. all of this stuff. But this is good. I mean, why do you why do you leave something good? It's kind of like Tom Brady all those years at at, at New England. Right. Why leave something good? The relationship
2: with the team is a big deal, too. Right. It started with Jeff Fisher. Yes. And it has continued through the years. There were a couple years. wasn't. uh, (laughs) I'm (laughs) not going into that. It's fine. Can I just say, (laughs) I I was here
1: with Jeff Fisher for a lot of years. And I've told you this before, how much respect he had for you and Times Radio. That's really nice. Jeff Fisher himself was on those caravans.
2: Hey, listen, Jeff Fisher treated us like gold and Mike Vrabel and and John Robinson. They're the best. I I mean, to have that relationship to where they will trust you to work with you and say, hey, you can say this an hour before kickoff. Right. You you know this so we can prepare a pregame show Understanding some of what's going to happen because there's a trust factor there. There's right. a huge
1: trust factor, and look, as a head coach in this league, especially this day and you don't let people watch practice unless you trust them. Mm-hmm. You and I and Amy and Ashley Farrell are allowed by John Robinson and Mike Vrabel to watch every minute of every practice. That's right, because they absolutely trust us to keep it right there. What a blessing! Oh, it's it, it's 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 so huge, and you're such a part of it. That's big. Mm-hmm. And that's big, and that's that's why our, our people get such a product on broadcast day. We're lucky.
0: We're very lucky. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about some of our major Titans radio moments? Sure. And I just have a few that I want to buzz through and get your reactions to, and I also would like to hear some of your guys. Well, I got plenty. I know you do. We've talked about the <laughs> longest game in history. That was crazy. Long. Uh, it was <laughs> it was long, long, but, I mean, what a amazing experience that was. The 2020 year was wild and crazy. Being one of two radio teams that traveled to every single away game in a year where it took us planes, trains, and automobiles to get places. And from week to week, we didn't know what was happening. Mike, when you look back on that time, what do you remember the most about that 2020 season? It was an honor.
2: I mean, it really was. It was an honor to sort of tell that story in a way because there's there's a big part of me that started off as a reporter that's where I began and I wanted to tell the story of a game in an empty stadium I wanted to tell the story of what it was really like to go into those places in those ways and see what was happening like that Denver game where there was no one and you're You're like, this feels like a Friday night high school scrimmage instead of a real NFL game. I think we did a pretty good job getting that across. The effort came from a lot of people. We got lucky with how the schedule fell. Like, if the Baltimore game had been two weeks earlier, we would not have been able to do it due to a Maryland quarantine. Right. So things kept falling right for us to be able to keep going. We said, okay. We'll go to Denver, we'll see what happens. Then we'll go to Minneapolis, we'll see what happens. We'll drive to Cincinnati and we'll see what happens. And so the things just kept falling right. Somebody was watching out for us and we're very thankful for that because it just kept going the right way. But the other part of it too is we were very safe. Yeah. Everybody wore masks everywhere. Everybody socially distanced. We washed our hands 900 times a day. We respected the power of COVID and the dangerous nature of it. We were not out being Cowboys. We were not doing stupid things. We said we want to go and do. And a couple of our guys could not go due to COVID. Rhett Bryan had to stay behind because one of the guys at the radio station who ran the board, you know, we, we worked a game with five people, which we had never done before, worked a game without a spotter, worked a game without a statistician, all of these things. What will always get me about that year was it so restored my faith in people because the people we dealt with were so nice to us. They were so nice. The The hotel and the airlines and, and if we did get to go to a restaurant or whatever, people were kind of pulling for you. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, we're all in this together. We'll have patience with you, you have patience with us, and we all sort of work
1: together. There's only two clubs that did it. To me, the thing that was so cool about it as to when it was presented, because COVID was a massive, massive hit to the whole world, and it was presented to us. Look, you know, numbers-wise, you cannot be on the team plane anymore, which Titans Radio had always traveled on the team plane. Right. Every member of the Titans Radio crew went, okay, That's how, fine. Do we, how do we have to do it? That's fine. And so we did whatever it took. I mean, you were the travel agent. Right. We, d- we did whatever we had to do to get it done. And to me, that just points up not only what this group is, but the importance of it. And you're right. We we were taken care of very well, but we were also all very cognizant of the fact that we needed to even be extra careful about COVID at the time because right. none of us could go down. Right. You know, we, we we've got a small group and everybody's job is kind of that person's job. Well, it's like
2: Brad Willis did everybody's job that year. Rhett Bryan ended up doing everybody's job that year Mm -hmm. because we had to switch in and out at different points. You you just said, okay, this is what it's going to be this week. It's not like we can bring in somebody to the group. No. It's not like we can hire a freelancer at the site. This is what we got. And so that's what we did. And it really took me back – to the early days of broadcasting, Lindsey Nelson from Columbia, Tennessee, probably the first great television sportscaster in our country's history. He said at the time, he said, if you can call high school football, minor league baseball, you can call anything. Because you generally can't see, you generally have no information. A lot of times you don't have anybody working with you. And that's how I started. I started hanging out the window trying to broadcast a game at, at, a, at a high school in Knox County. And I'll never forget thinking, surely it gets better than this. <laughs> well, in tw- in 2020, you weren't necessarily hanging out a window, but it was like, okay, this is this is what we got. Right. And if you grow up in the business that way, you understand that, oh, well. I mean, if, if you were going to be a diva that year, it was not going to work. It was over. If you were, no, no, no. were going to be some whiny – Oh, my headset doesn't sound exactly the same, or <laughs> I don't have the caviar for the booth. or. <laughs> and listen, there's some people in the business like that, nobody in our group, and it just it was like, okay, here's what we got. We're all going to pile in the van, and we're going to go to wherever,
1: and that's the way it goes. Two of my greatest memories of that year, first of all, is when we we went to Denver, and they were brand new, too. Nobody knew what the protocols were. Nobody knew how to do anything to get into a stadium. Oh, yeah. And so we go early, and, and, you know, we're lined up in the line, and, and, you know, the sun's – it's hot there at Denver at that time of year, and that sun's really close to the earth because, you know, there's no layer of air in there. So we're standing in the line, and it's smoking hot, and you got these – Poor people working up here. They really got no clue what they're doing. They've got it all set up where you've got these nice digital things that you gotta to scan to your phone and get, well, nothing worked because there's no Wi Fi out there. Nobody thought about that. And then and then it's hot and you're sweating. So Mike Keith is the only one that can get his to work. The rest of us are standing there like a dog looking at a typewriter, going, oh, We got no idea. How do we get how are we going to get in here? They finally let him in, and the lady sticks the thermometer on his head and goes, 106.5. I go whoa Uh-oh. mike's not feeling well <laughs> <laughs> mike's dead mike's dead uh-huh. and he's still working here and then the th- all of that that it took to be able to just get into the building took an hour it took yeah. an hour it took us an hour to get into the building amy and i got into a freight elevator with a dude and <laughs> and, and he said where are you going And we said three he went good and I don't know how much we went up because there's nothing dinging on the thing. Mm-hmm. And then he got out, and we said, "Is this three? He went, "Nope." And the door just and shut. And left. Gone. <laughs> so <laughs> we're standing in the we're standing in the freight elevator, looking at each other, going, "What the hell?" You know, oh, all of that stuff is just. It was just so great. I mean, and we got it done. The other one that I'll say, we went to Minnesota and beat Minnesota. That was a real treat. It was. And then walking out, we recreated the opening of the Mary Tyler Moore show with Amy Wells because we beat the Vikings. And Brad Willis, who is, again, a, a genius with the video stuff, recreated it. She walked across the street, turned around, spun threw her hat up in the air. We got everything going. And then on the, on the way back to the airport, he makes a whole video of it that, that has the kitten saying, sack, with my <laughs> <key's> voice. <laughs> the best thing ever.
2: And, and then the next day, COVID hit the team. The COVID yeah. hit the team. I mean, it changed the the arc of, of that season. But I mean, it was just, so many things. Oh, gosh. And then driving through the snow in, in Green Bay. Oh, the, the great That was one of the greatest things.
0: Great greatest relative. My life flashed before my yeah, eyes. Yeah, but Coach
1: Mac said, hey, why don't you turn on Mike, four-wheel said, drive here, I Mike? I said, how about this? I said, Mike, I don't know much because I was sitting in the front seat with him, and he's always the driver, and he's driving, and, you know, we're spinning a little bit. you know, doing, <laughs> A lot. We were doing doing some 360s. And I said, what's this button right here that you twist that says snow mode? I said, how about <laughs> trying that? <Yeah. laughs> Uh, that was, was it was idea. better after that. It was a lot yeah. better. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was traction right. on all four using, wheels. Using four wheel drive really <laughs> seemed to help. <laughs> snow mode. <laughs> you know, when you rent a car in Green Bay, look for snow mode. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. a fair Easy point. It's on December. everyone. Yes.
0: Well, and there's so many different machisms that have oh, yeah. come out over the years. <laughs> I mean, just off the top of my head, we've got not yes, hell yes, Buffalo. Yep. We've got good job, Sloman. That Houston, was Houston 2020. Yep. Yeah, Send us to the playoffs on that one. We've got Ford over Rooster.
1: It was really a contact made by a Titans player on an opponent that really hurt mm-hmm. the yeah. opponent. And it just drew me back to my days in East Texas, driving down dirt road, Ford pickup truck, and that Rooster runs out in the road. You got no chance to miss him, and Ford <laughs> pickup Ford truck Rooster. went. Ford over Rooster.
0: But do you have to brace yourself for machism?s Do you oh, anticipate
1: no. them? Oh, no. I love it. <laughs> I think it I mean I think it's
2: fantastic. I mean I know they're listening for him. I think it's the greatest thing in the whole world. I think it's why you listen as you listen for the personality of every broadcast and Titans Radio has taken on his personality which is so great because people enjoy it. We're not doing a you know a joke a minute broadcast. No. But every once
1: in a while when that comes out, it's fantastic.
0: Because it's organic.
2: It's
1: totally organic. It's all organic. And I mean, most of me is. The thing thing, though, where I'm so fortunate is, and I've told Mike this, and not to embarrass him, and because, you know, the person I'm getting ready to compare him to lives right here now. And I remember Tony Romo and Jim Nance did their first game here Mm -hmm. with us. And I remember, you know, talking with Romo, you know, just out in the hallway going, you know, how are you feeling about this? I said, you know, this is I remember when I started, and the thing about it is, Tony Romo's successful right now because guess who his guy is? It's Jim Nance. I'm successful because my guy's Mike Keith. I've put teams enough together to know this guy over here is really good because of this guy. You know, it's not just a one-off. But every now and then I'll throw a little bit of Coach Mack in there because that's just all I know how to be.
2: Every little, I mean, it's going to be once a quarter.
1: (laughs) We're getting it once a quarter. People, people live for it. People, yeah. people live for me making my comments a lot of times on the officiating. Because as they a, like that. Because as a coach, I could never really say anything. Now I can. And, I, I look, I, I respect officials a lot. Sure. I don't like it when they don't do the game right. Right. I do like it when you get so upset when they won't set the ball and you can't get your down distance and you can't call it. And I really like that because now I can really go in on it. And he does. He does. He <laughs>
0: does often. Matt, can you believe that you celebrated your 100th game?
1: I really had no idea. But uh, you know what that points out, guys, really? As to how much fun you're having doing it. When all that was presented to me, I went, really?
0: Ta-da! You did it.
1: Doing games and getting ready for games, just like our preparation meeting, you you and Rhett and I every Thursday. Those prep meetings, to me, are really fun. They're fun because they're informative. They're important. But doing the game is, is so much fun because of this. We prepare a lot, but we're in the moment. We're in the moment, and when you do a game with Mike Keith, it doesn't matter. You're going to do it with the windows open. I mean, as cold as I've been in my life is some of these 100 games I've done with Mike Keith, and the window's <laughs> going to be open. Because people will ask me that if they don't know this. Oh, Mac, you really must enjoy this now, because all the years I coached, I'm on the sideline, you're all bundled up, and they said, you really must enjoy it, you guys are going up here, weather's going to be terrible, you'll be in the booth. I went, no, no, no. In fact, they're big windows where a lot of it can come through. And I said, because that's why we do it, because we want to be in the moment. Right. And that's what Mike Keith has always done. With the fans. You want to be with the fans. You want to be in the
2: moment. And that was the toughest thing about 2020, was not having the fans there to get the sense of what it really feels like. The fans let you know when it's a big moment. Mm -hmm. They make you understand when something big has happened or is about to happen or they're let down. The sense of the place is a big part of the story, and, and they tell you. And at the places where we can't open the windows, in Kansas City in particular, it's really, really difficult to get a bead on that.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't like that. I really like it when it, they're close, like they are in Cleveland, or like they are in Baltimore, <laughs> where you can have some friendly exchanges with them. I absolutely love that. <laughs> and, and, and you do? Oh, I do. And then, and then when you start making your calls, you know, especially, especially you know, sack is great. Touchdown Titans is great because the the level of the decibel goes up just about like a jet engine. And those fans that are sitting there, they all turn around. They don't really enjoy. No, it. they don't Was enjoy. there a
0: Baltimore uh, exchange? Am I remembering? This? Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. It was outstanding.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they all turned around. Cleveland was great, too. The year we went up to play Cleveland, remember, it was open when they were going to win the Super Bowl. They'd already won it. And everybody told us that when we walked in. You know, they had 18 penalties, and there's a guy right below us that's just going apoplectic. I mean, he's losing his <laughs> mind. He's spinning around. He's already lost his shirt. He's throwing his hat. I'm thinking he's going to take his pants off. He's so mad. And he turns around and is looking up at our booth, going, you know, like every call that they're making is our fault. Right. And so I finally just leaned out i said tell him to quit holding then he really went off the he page. didn't care for no that. he didn't like that no
2: i do not talk to the fan i do <laughs> i do not i ignore them
1: i love it when you stir them up and then i'm going what the hell i can't
2: i'm sorry that y'all aren't any good if i have upset these people <laughs> if my loudness and enthusiasm for the titans has upset these people I really don't care. There it is. That's I, yeah. That's what I was oh, expecting. It, it is so great. They can all take a walk. It's a beauty of the NFL, though, is, is because people care so much. Oh my goodness! And and every game is important. I mean. You, you don't have a game where you're playing a one double-a team I, I mean it, it's no. it's on every single week even if it's a team with a poor record it's the best thing about the NFL and it's the worst thing about yeah. the NFL because when you lose golly, it hurts oh my gosh
1: you know, I've never done a losing season in no. my broadcasting career that's why you're staying we've lost yeah, yeah mm-hmm. but we've lost games. And I can remember the times when all of us would be standing either in the booth at home or in the parking lot or just kind of staring off into – because we're invested. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. We're invested deep, just like our fans are. But, I mean, as much as as this organization embraces Titans Radio and makes us part of it, well, then you feel every bit of it. Oh, gosh. You feel every bit of it. And I think that comes through in the broadcast, too, because people know that. So somebody asked
2: me the other day, they said the Cincinnati game must have been hard. And, yeah, and and it was no doubt, but for me, it was the aftermath that was much harder because when you're doing it, you've still got to do the work. Right. I mean, the guy makes the field goal. I mean, you've got to call it professionally. Yes. I'm not going to get on there and go, oh, this, 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 you know, that's, I'm not doing that. Right. The guy made the kick. They win the game. Tip your hat. Give them credit. And y- you know, you're you're working it. That's how I was taught. You know, we're for the Titans. You know that. But I'm not demeaning the other team. I'm not making fun of anybody. They are professionals. I have great respect for what they do. We're going to call the ball game so that when we have to tell you something, you have a sense that we are objective enough to be giving you the straight scoop. Right. And that, to me, is what I like about the way that we do It's very credible because it's all real. At that moment, you're doing your job. At the minute you take your headset off. And at the minute you're through with the post-game show and you start walking to the car, you're like, someone, please shoot me.
0: Yeah, there it is. <laughs> shoot yeah. me
2: right in the face. <laughs> right. Now. Because no, yeah, it's awful. That's where
1: my coaching career right, comes yeah. right. in. I mean, because it's like, – I've, I've felt like that oh. a lot of times before. When I was a head coach at Arizona one time, we'd lost three in a row, and I went home about 1.30 in the morning, really dark, you know, turning all the lights off, just feeling awful. Things were going really bad, and and, and just – took my shoes off, getting ready to get in bed, and got stung right in the foot by a scorpion. And all of a sudden, it just, you know, if anybody's ever been hit by a bark scorpion in in Arizona, you know what I'm talking about. Somebody just heated a hot hypodermic, stuck it right through you. So I lay down in bed, you know. You can feel the tingle start up your leg because they got – that's legitimate poison. Not great. And I'm sitting there going, God, just let it reach my heart and just end it all (laughs) (laughs) I did that because we lost three in a row. I walked into a door (laughs) –
2: my wife closes the door because she didn't want the sound of the TV because she'll go to bed before me and didn't want the sound. Well, it was dark, and I didn't see it. I walked right into the door. <laughs> and I'm laying there on the floor thinking, I deserve this. <laughs> it was after a loss, and I'm thinking, this is exactly yep. what I deserve. I deserve this I hope it. I die right now. <laughs> this hurts so bad, but it does not hurt as badly as losing that game. There you go
0: this feels like a very appropriate time to tell you guys about Farm Bureau Health
2: for a knot on your head. And we Whatever you need. Yes. We both have it. So yes. We're good. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Don't get sacked by the high cost of health care. <laughs> Make Farm Bureau Health Plans your first line of protection because you too need it. They've been protecting Tennessee and since 1947. You guys, we could sit and tell stories all day long. I mean, this has been absolutely incredible. But wait, there's more. There's more. There's more.
1: That's what you get on the Titans Amy coach back podcast more
0: everything you want and more (laughs) because we did and Mac mentioned this way at the beginning of the show but we did spend some time in Indianapolis and one of the people that we ran into when we were there is someone who is also incredibly familiar with doing things the right way and working and grinding to get himself to a place that is pretty incredible and that's Arthur Smith he is A former Tennessee Titan all the way through. Coach Mack, you worked with him when he was just starting out in coaching, and now he's the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. So here's our conversation with Falcons head coach, Arthur Smith.
2: So, Arthur Smith, when you were working for Dave McGinnis, did you ever think you'd be sitting here being interviewed by Dave McGinnis as an NFL head coach?
3: Well, I certainly wanted to do to, to the same things that Dave had done in this, this league, but uh, I don't know if i ever envision him interviewing me now here uh, God, what, 11 years later. How about that?
1: I mean, this is the Titans Amy Coach Mac podcast with two outstanding guests, Mike Keith and head coach Arthur Smith. It's really cool, Arthur. You know, I, you, know you and I have talked before, but uh, let me ask you this. I was a head coach once, a first-time head coach. You were prepared, but what was your biggest surprise when it really started coming down the day-to-day? Talk to us about that.
3: Yeah, it's really how you're going to manage your time because uh, people are going to come through and, and, you know, you want to be open to everybody, but you don't want every five minute conversation turned into 30 minutes because uh, you look up, it's 10 o'clock at night and you haven't done all the things you needed to do for that day and it keeps you up. So you got to stay efficient, be respectful of everybody, but. Be very conscious of your time. You know what I found out, too, Arthur, that really helps is you've had a year now. You're
1: familiar with your building Mm -hmm. because there's so many things that come up. I mean, every time someone knocks on the door to a head coach's office in the National Football League, they never stick their head in and say, you know what, Coach Mack, Coach Smith, you're doing a great job. I just want to let (laughs) you know that. That's not what happens when they knock on your door. But now you've been in that building long enough, you know who to go to. Absolutely, and you know where some problems can be solved. I mean, that was the big thing that I found out. You know, so much. I'm talking about in the building. I'm not even talking about on the field. To me, and you tell me if I'm if I'm wrong. The field is really a sanctuary. Oh, no
3: doubt. You know, it's almost where you can escape, um, and do what you you know you love to do. And, and there's certain things. Trust me, I, I feel fortunate to have this job, and I love the job. But you're right. We're all football coaches at heart. You want to be on the field, and it is your sanctuary. And that's a great way to put it. But, but Coach Mack, every building is completely different. I've been in three different NFL ones. In Tennessee, I felt like I was in three different ones just because of the transition. of the 10 years I was there. So you just learned a lot. I was on a lot of different staffs.
0: You've been a part of every facet of being a coach. It feels like you really worked your way up the ladder. How helpful has that been to you now as the head guy that you have an understanding of what every role really requires?
3: Yeah, I think you have a lot of appreciation for everybody's job. Uh, you don't want to lose sight of that because you still have the understanding that it takes time. You know, it's not you get these reports or things; it just doesn't happen out of out of thin air. And you've got a just a great appreciation that, and you know what it takes everybody in that building to win, and everybody's got a job to do.
2: I know your dad's backstory from when he started mm-hmm. Federal Express at the sure. time, and as a CEO, it feels like your experience now as a head coach. Matches up with what he's done more than ever before in your life. Are there things that you've seen from your dad that you've talked to from your dad that you now use as a head coach?
3: Oh yeah, feel fortunate as as, as anybody, you know, to have that kind of mentor as your as your dad. I mean, he's gone into five decades, and that company certainly changed and evolved, and that's what you have to do in this job. I mean, it's not the same year in and year out. They change the rules, you know, different set of circumstances come up. But we have a lot of great conversations when I'm driving home at night. You know, uh, the thing that I found out too, Arthur, when you put a new
1: staff together, you know the people, Mm -hmm. but you really don't know them as a unit. And everybody has a slot in that unit too. How much more comfortable are you now going into year two with a slotted staff that you feel like now you can kind
3: of get everybody in sync even more? Yeah, it's huge. Uh, You've gone through a season with them. You know, you don't want to delegate, but you know where you need to maybe spend a little more time and everybody has different spots or different stages of their career. But that staff chemistry is huge.
0: Being at an event like this, I mean, it's the combine. It's a big right. thing. We've watched you kind of work the, the car wash of all the media things. And how is that different? Because last year, this wasn't a thing that was happening. So this is your first experience being at an NFL event. As the head guy.
3: Right. It's uh, certainly different. Uh, You know, last year we were, you know, where we were with COVID and everybody and they're in a transition and a lot unknown and everybody dealt with those same set of circumstances. But it's good to be back. It's good to catch up. Like right, what we're doing right now, it's good to see people. You miss people you work with and obviously you spend 10 years someplace. Uh, It's good to catch up.
2: What do you respect more about Mike Vrabel now that you've been away from him for a year?
3: Well, there's a lot. I've learned a ton from Braves. You know, miss working with them day to day in day out. We stay in pretty good communication. Got so much respect, and I think you have a new appreciation of the things that come across his desk. That he did a great job. but, you know, when I was a coordinator, there's things that that didn't pertain to me, and you know, he was able to shield those, and that's a good thing. So I can't say enough good things about, about Braves and, and really the opportunity he gave me in Tennessee.
1: You know, I was, I was there with you a year, you know, Munch's first year, and that was a different type of year. Then I left and went to the Rams, you know, with Jeff Fisher when mm-hmm. he was in St. Louis. And when I got there, you know, the first thing I told him was, look, there's a young guy back there in Nashville that we need to try to get on this staff if we can. Well, the Titans were very smart in never letting you get to that to that to that situation to get away. The thing that always impressed me about you, Arthur, and I can tell you this now and we've talked a lot is during ball games, regardless of what went on or whatever you you were very non-pulsed you, you were able, even as a really young dude, to keep your wits about you during a ball game. That was so critical. And that, I think that's why you generated trust from so many different head coaches that came through there because, look, a National Football League game, people don't even understand the chaos that it really is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it's a chaos. But you were always able to, and that's what I used, I used to tell Jerry Gray. I said, you know what? I said, that dude right there, it, when it's going hot, He's at his columnist. What, what, what do you find out now about as, as a head coach? Because during a ball game as a head coach, you, you were in a different world now, a different world. What do you find
3: out was different? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, all those jobs you had before, I think the most underrated job to be a play caller is if you're the guy calling in the defensive personnel. And it's an underrated job, and I did it for four years with, with different coordinators. Everybody's got a feel and a rhythm, especially when you're the defensive guy and you're calling in the offensive personnel. And that was a great job to have. And, and I would say the hardest year to do it was when I was at Ole Miss because you got got 100 guys on the sideline. Nobody <laughs> understands. Like, they're the same personnel. you got people wearing the same numbers, and they oh. kind of number tricks on you. Not that I'd, you know, forgotten some of the, the tricks that Malzon did at Auburn and take guys on. <laughs> I haven't forgotten. But it trains you to make decisions on game day because you've got to make a decision because the play caller is relying on you. And that helped me as a coordinator. The biggest challenge is the head coach. And I found in Mac, I'd be curious what you think it's now that you you you're in charge of everything is is that the officials become more of an obstacle for you and you try not to get caught up and, and nobody's perfect and and certainly there was a couple times where it you feel like you got to fight for your guys or you're just plain bothered by their call or lack of call and so it, that that's a challenge every week yeah you know and I love hearing you say that about
1: that let's let's go back to what you because when I had first retired by Mike Dick in 1986. We only had seven coaches on the staff. Right. I was the youngest by far. And Dick had told me, Kid, you're gonna be in the press box and you're gonna tell us personnel. And I was shaken. Sure <laughs> because the thing has to happen like this, mm-hmm. but what you I, I love what you say because it hasn't changed no. over the years that job because nothing happens until that job is done correctly and you only have one chance to get it right right to get it right you know what it really helped me now now that I'm broadcasting with Mike Keith, I can sit up there and I can say immediately what's in the game what's in the game what? but that all goes back to when I first started, I was just about petrified you sure. know the first time I was up there because if it's not right, you can't get it done. No. I'm, so glad to, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Look, the, the official thing, the official thing to me always was this, and you, you try to remove yourself from the personal aspect of it mm-hmm. because you know they're trying to do a good sure. job. The, the, I never really bothered me about the quantitative calls. The thing that used to upset me, and still does, now that I'm a broadcaster, mm-hmm. I can say anything I want about the officials. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I do. Yeah, and I do. Yeah. And so now, the thing that, that 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 used to bother me, it wasn't it wasn't the calls. It was the administration of the game. Right. If the if, if the spot's not right, if the if, if if the administration of a penalty is not correct, if the, those things bothered me because all of a sudden now you as a head coach you know all the rules. I mean, I know how you were back then when I was mm-hmm. with you. You know the rules, and you know you know the insides and the outs of the rules. And
3: if the guys doing it on the field don't know it, that that really used to throw me off. Sure, it it, it is frustrating at times because there, there is a lot of emotion to it, and then. You know, some calls are very subjective, and you get in there and you're a critical part of the game, and especially with, with the taunting stuff. I mean, you know, you make that call. That's a 15-yard penalty. That's a personal foul. And, and, you know, we had an incident in in the Buffalo game, you know, possibly going to a one-possession game, and then you make it, and now it's, you know, third and goal from the 16-yard line. So there is a cause and effect, and, and they have a tough job to do. And you just want consistency, and then the team, you can't panic because the team's going to feed off you. Like I'm sure I'm sure Ditka was, was great with the officials. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well let me tell you something. Everybody fed off of him. Here's how they fed off of him.
1: Here's how we all did. As soon as he started being Ditka with the officials, everybody scattered. <laughs> scattered. You wanted you wanted no shrapnel no. from okay. any from any of that.
3: Yeah.
0: Oh man. So Arthur, as you head into year two as a head coach with an entire year under your belt now. What do you do differently? Are there things that you'll change? Are there things sure. that you loved and you want to keep exactly the same?
3: Yeah, there's things you look back on, and I think that's the thing. That's a challenge is to be objective and, and with yourself. What, what are the lessons learned? Okay, you know, everything that's happening in year one, you know, there's a honeymoon period and there's so many decisions you have to make, and you get through it, and now you've gone through it for a whole season. All right. We, and you go back. no different than we do on Mondays for a game, and that's the hardest thing, especially as a play caller and as a head coach, because you've really got to be critical of yourself. Not to be like a martyr, but just to say, hey, if if you don't do that, you're going to repeat that mistake. And that's what you're trying not to do.
2: So one of my favorite moments of the 2021 NFL season was you giving Matt LaFleur a hard time <laughs> in the press conference. <laughs> do you think people knew you were joking around that you had that relationship with Matt? Because I was watching a couple of commentators talk about it and they're like, Wonder why he's saying this about Matt LaFleur and Yeah. Yeah, I probably was bored and, and uh, they gave me an opportunity and obviously yeah. you know, Matt's a friend of mine and Well well and he'll bust anybody's chops too. I mean it's yeah, not it's no, not I like know. he takes any prisoners.
3: Yeah, I know. It's it's actually kinda of funny the culture we're in right now and everybody, you know, they they don't realize like it's it's okay to have a sense of humor. You know, the other thing too, Arthur,
1: speaking of that, the, Uh, You know, what I found out, and again, it'll last you for your whole career, even when you're, you know, a long time from now, when you're done, like, you know, like I am, that, that group that you become a part of, that stays with you all your life. Mm -hmm. It really does. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a special group that you've joined. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to get there, Mm -hmm. but the fact is, and I know that you're doing this just you know enjoy that too because those relationships with the head coaches are important. Absolutely. I mean it's very important. And and that was one thing that that I learned real quick is that most everybody at, that's in that position is willing to help. Sure. If you reach out. I was head coach of the Bears for 6 hours, didn't know it for 3. So, <laughs> I, you know, we'll take that one aside, but when I got the, the my the Cardinal job as an interim and that's hard. Mm-hmm. And I would reach out to people, you know, about what to do. And, and, and everybody is willing to help. That circle of head coaches, you know, even though you're trying to beat each other's brains in on mm-hmm. uh, Sunday, Monday, or Thursday, you're willing to help. And I'm sure
3: you've dialed into that too. Absolutely. You need allies. You need mentors in any profession. and Because they, they've been through it before. And most people are. I mean, most people are willing to help you. And, and even guys I I'd, I'd worked for before that aren't – currently head coaches, I can go back. I can call Mike Malarkey, ask him a question. Raves has been a great mentor, you know, and and the list goes on and on. Munch, Joe Gibbs, and, and then guys you meet along the way, a lot of good guys out there, a lot of good coaches.
2: You push for it. You fight for it. You take every job, every opportunity you could get. You become an NFL head coach. Is it as much fun as it seems like it is to get there and then to be that, that guy?
3: It is. It, you know, you realize it's truly it, – don't get jaded in this business. That's the easy thing to do. It's like you, you, there's so many good coaches out there that would scratch and claw to get get an opportunity just to get on the NFL staff. And then once you're there, and you you know you you're around for a long time, you, you need perspective. Take a step back, and it's yeah. I mean, some days you got to pinch yourself. Like I get to be the head coach in the National Football
0: Mac, how proud are you of Arthur
1: Smith? You saw me hug him after the interview. Yeah. I just tell him i'm really proud of him because in 2011 when i stayed with mike munchak for one year you know to be the, the, the the senior assistant coach and kind of help everybody and help munch get started well arthur had come in from washington with jerry gray and he was the defensive quality control and so jerry gray as a coordinator had asked me mac would you please look at and and handle the third down pass rush stuff for us what the opponents are doing protection wise and then what we can do scheme-wise, pressure-wise, to stop them. So I did that project during the week. Then I would go to Arthur and say, Arthur, okay, here's what I'm, I'm looking at. What do you see? What do you do? And so anyway, we'd put it together. And so then Jerry said, you know, the first week, Coach Mack, on Thursday I'd like you to present this to the defense. And I went, no. said, so i tell you who needs to present this is Arthur Smith. This is a bright dude, a bright young dude, and he needs to get that experience of presenting to a team. I said, because one day he's going to do this. And I said, so he needs that. So he did, you know, the whole year. And I think Arthur's always, always appreciated that. Sure. You know, he did. And so he and I have become, have become very close, very good friends. And then when I came back here, he's still here through all the different regimes. You guys know him, know him well, but, but he earned it. I sat down with several of his coaches at the Combine and just said, how's Arthur? And they said, he's incredible. They say he gets it from a lot of different angles, and, and he's always willing to listen but he's a decision maker. This is a people business and you've got to be an, a genuine people person.
2: Arthur Smith is that. I just remember when Matt LaFleur went to Green Bay and all of us who had worked with him immediately said, "Well, you got to promote Arthur Smith." And of course, the public everybody who's not Arthur Smith bring in somebody from somewhere. And it's like, "No, uh-huh. he's really good." And then he left. And everybody's like, "Arthur Smith left the world." <laughs> and they're still lamenting the fact that Arthur Smith isn't here after you know, three years ago, they were like, "How can you hire this guy?" Right. The fellows really like him and really connect with him. Well,
1: give Mike Vrabel a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of strengths as a head coach, but he knows people and he knows coaches and he knows how coaches interact with players. I mean, look look at the look at the guys that he's that he's hired. and and a lot of it comes with that. Well, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Why? Because Mike Vrabel knows. He knew yeah, Arthur. He, does. he he knew he knew his, his coordinators now. He knows these guys because there's much more to it than just what's out there on sports center. It's what's in the building, it's how they react and how they go and uh, that was a great hire and then of
2: course Arthur Blank made a really nice hire. That's a very good hire. I mean to go 7 and 10 last year and somebody said to us, Amy, and I think he was accurate that they may be the favorites in the NFC South.
0: Yeah, which is incredible. I mean, for a guy who's in his second year as a head coach to be able to bring a team together that was, I mean, had some legitimate issues when he walked in, be able to bring them together, create a solid foundation in his first year, and then have the expectations like that in just his second year in charge of the program, it's pretty remarkable.
1: Arthur's like Mike Vrabel. He's not about Mike Vrabel he's about the success of the group what i really like though is how much credit that he gave mike vrabel absolutely mm-hmm. and he's very he's very beholding to Mike Vrabel. This is a hard business. Mm -hmm. It's a hard business. As a coach, I've lived it for 31 years in this league. It's a hard, hard business because you've got a real thin line as to, you know, relationships are broken in this business because just going back to what you were talking about earlier, just the, 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 the crestfallen like death nature that losing games is, it can break relationships. But when you're able to get past that, and then still be able to to recognize that even if you go on your own path, you realize who helped you and I loved the things that he said about Mike Brabel.
0: Awesome. Guys, this has been so
1: much fun. It has been. Mike said it was strange sitting down not being able to talk first. Well It was odd. Yeah,
0: but he got to talk in the entire middle part. So wow.
1: What he, are you saying?
0: I'm saying it was I think a great that's show. A shot. No, never. I think- no shots on this show. We don't take she shots. She did on say it one
1: time during it. I was afraid of this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well mike keith thank you so much for taking you, some amy. time to hang out with us coach mac always a pleasure okay, thanks amy. for showing up for your own show god bless you i thank do you.
2: think you should be calling it Tackum though titans amy coach mac
0: i know you love you guys love an acronym i don't need any more acronyms in my life Ma- you do what you want, Mac. I mean, it's kind of your show. So.
1: No, it's not kind of my show. I agree with Mike.
0: Now it's not your show. We <laughs> lost it. There it is. You lost it. The <laughs> Tackum Podcast. Oh, my gosh. I'll
1: do the VO for you. Welcome to
0: Tackum. Yes. I'm losing control of my own You've show. You've lost control. <laughs> for Mike Keith and Coach Mac, I'm Amy Wells. Thank you for listening to the Titans, Amy, and Coach Mac Podcast. Tackum. No. No. <laughs> <laughs>